I'm Alec Lace. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Welcome, everybody, to episode 88 of the podcast. Happy, as always, to be here with you. Thank you for stopping by. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, what are you waiting for? Get over there and hammer that subscribe button. You do not want to miss all the action that's coming your way right here on First Class Fatherhood. Okay, dads, I have some amazing guest announcements to make for you here today. But first off, I have to let you know about a little scheduling change. My interview with Bedros Koulian has been pushed back from this Friday to the first week in November. So for those of you who have been waiting for that one, you're going to have to wait just a bit longer. Friday's episode will now be with the very funny and very talented first-class parents of the Holderness family. And if you have kids out there who are aspiring to be YouTubers, I highly recommend listening to episode 89 coming Friday with Penn and Kim Holderness. Okay, as for the upcoming guest announcements, I have three awesome ones to hit you with. Those of you who follow me on Instagram and Twitter already know who I am about to say. Uh, But coming soon to First Class Fatherhood will be three combat veterans, including Ryan Mishler, who hosts the Order of Man podcast. Former Navy SEAL and canine trainer Mike Ritlin, who hosts a podcast of his own called Mike Drop. And as if that's not humbling enough, I will also be joined here by Medal of Honor recipient and former Marine sniper Dakota Meyer. So come on, dads, lock it into first class fatherhood. Fatherhood rocks, family values rule, and every day is Father's Day right here on first class fatherhood. And I have so many exciting episodes that are on the way, and I am scheduling with somebody right now that if I can lock it in, it is going to blow first class fatherhood off the map. So please stay tuned. The best is yet to come here. As for today's episode, I will be joined here in just a minute by a very passionate single father who is doing whatever it takes to stay active in the lives of his daughters. And if you are a single dad out there listening or you know of a single dad, then this interview with Ted Rubin is going to have a much greater impact on you. If you happen to follow Ted Rubin on Twitter, then you are one of the more than half of a million people who do. He is a first-class father and my guest for today's podcast. So let me smack you guys with a quick little spot here on how you can help support the podcast if you're interested. And I will be right back with Ted Rubin. I'm Alec Lace, and you're listening to First Class Fatherhood. I cannot say thank you enough to all the listeners out there. You will hear a word from my sponsors in the middle of today's interview. If you would like to help me make First Class Fatherhood ad-free, please consider becoming a supporter of the podcast by hitting the link in the description of today's podcast episode. Welcome back to First Class Fatherhood. Joining me now is a First Class Father. He is a leading social marketing strategist, a keynote speaker, a best-selling author, and he is the most followed CMO on Twitter. It is a pleasure for me to say, Ted Rubin, welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Alex, thank you for reaching out to me and uh, happy to support you anywhere I can. Okay, let's get going here. How many kids do you have and how old are they? I have two girls. They're 21 and 23. Cool. What type of sports or activities are the girls into or were they into growing up? Well, you know, first of all, they're in college now, and it's a whole different world. When they were young, my older one is an artist, and that's what she was all about. The only sport she did was things she was kind of pushed to do by her mom, um, basically because I saw right away that she had no interest, although we did do some one-on-one type sports. We rode bikes. We went water skiing. I I taught both my girls how to slalom. I taught them both how to snow ski. But my younger daughter was more the athlete. She was uh, really into soccer for a while. 
until, in my opinion, the the towns became way too competitive at too young an age. I don't think third grade is the time to start cutting kids. And that's really what happened in our community. So she kind of played up until about fourth grade, and then she was kind of told there was no place for her. So that was unfortunate. But my younger one's very determined. She kept finding things. She found field hockey. She found lacrosse for a season or two until that became too competitive and she didn't make the team. Um, and, you know, again, I might be reaching a little bit deep here about what goes on in school sports. But for me, when you have a kid who's in 11th grade, and the only team they can play on is the varsity, and they get cut to make room for an eighth grader who can still play junior high, junior varsity, has a lot of years left. I don't think that's the right way to run a program. To me, I was brought up, and I had an amazing coach who's still part of my life and like a second father to me, who development of the children and of, of young adults and then into adults was much more important than basically, granted, winning is nice, but winning wasn't the ultimate goal. Okay, fair points. All right, Ted, please hit me and my listeners with a little bit about your background, what it is that you do, and the relationship you currently have with your daughters. Okay, well, just real I mean, look, I'm 50 years old. You don't want to hear my whole background. But uh, if you want to bring it up to a little bit more present day, um, about 20 years ago, I got involved in the digital space. I was an early pioneer. I joined a company run by a guy named Seth Godin, who's considered probably the number one marketer in the world. It was a very fortunate experience. Um, I learned and I started developing concepts about uh, how I believe people should interact and engage digitally. And I kind of built that into a career. I wrote a book called Return on Relationship, which led to another book, How to Look People in the Eye Digitally, which is about how doing what we've all been taught to do face-to-face, but to do it online so we make people really feel valued, uh, which led to a book called The Age of Influence, about how everybody influences somebody. And now I'm writing a book about retail. But I'm in the social space. I speak um, nationally and internationally. I see a lot of events about marketing. Um, As a dad, my life is a lot more complicated. Uh, When my daughters were probably, this is about 10 years ago, my ex-wife tried to take my daughters away from me. Um, In her eyes, I was not making good decisions, which meant I wasn't making the decisions she wanted me to make. Uh, unfortunately, it turned out my ex is a, what's called a borderline personality. Um, it became a long-haul battle. Um, she alienated my daughters from me. Um, luckily, after three and a half years of, of basically bankrupting myself and spending a great deal of my time on it, I won the rights to my daughters back. Uh, my ex-wife was the first woman in the United States to be held in contempt of court and convicted of child alienation. And it's, it's, it doesn't go away. Even when you win your battle and you win your legal rights, uh, my daughters live with us each and every day. They're 21 and 23, and they're still discouraged from having a relationship with me. So um, I've learned to change my expectations. I've learned to work around what might work for them. I learned to always be present. You know, I, I like to say that being a father transcends how we feel moment to moment. We have to remember that everything we do is being observed, recorded, and processed by our kids. And, and it's important to their emotional development, and, and perhaps even more so, for children of divorce, you know, they're always watching. And that's what a lot of people don't realize. When you think they're not paying attention, they are. And although they can't truly understand and process it all while they're going through it, our interactions are being stored for future analysis. And it's going to affect the way they view the world, uh, you know, to say nothing of how they ultimately live in it. So, you know, it, it took a lot of time for me to learn that. 
Um, also, it's hard when you're right in the center of it, but what I've done now is I try to take all that pressure off them. If it's uncomfortable, you know, if, if, if their mother's making them uncomfortable about me being somewhere, I don't go there. I try to find another opportunity. I let them know that I'm always paying attention. I tell them and make sure they know that I'm always available, even if they don't return my messages, even though my older daughter has told me after she graduated college, went on to grad school, that she didn't need me anymore and didn't want to be a part of my life, I still send her an email once a month. I send her a text every other week just to say, I love you. I'm thinking about you. I'm here if you ever need me. And fortunately, my younger daughter, who, who has, has managed to um, uh, work through all of this a little bit better, she's a little bit of a tougher kid. Uh, I've, I've built a very deep relationship with her, although it's still at a distance. But whenever I tell her I'm coming to Philadelphia where she goes to school, she makes time to have dinner with me. Um, I make sure that she knows and she accepts a lot from me. And I know that message is going to make its way through to her sister. So you know what I like to say is that no matter how they treat me or no matter what happens between my relationship and how often I see them, they can never take away what's in my heart. And that will always be there. So I like to I, – I, I say that – I use a hashtag, this dad won't quit. And no matter how hard it is to me, I'm always going to be there. So that's kind of the, the, the real um, uh, kind of summary about things with my daughter. My younger one is at University of Pennsylvania right now, going to be heading to law school next year, you know, again. But I communicate with her less than I'd like to and see her less than I'd like to. But fortunately, whenever I'm in Philadelphia, she makes time down dinner with me, like I said. And also, I understand she's 21. And when, when we were 21, we didn't want as much to do with our parents, good marriage, bad marriage, no matter what, because we're kids and we're focused on ourselves. Well said. And I've had the opportunity to speak with some other single dads here on the podcast. And it seems like whenever there's a divorce or the relationship is heading south, the focus becomes zeroed in on the parents as individuals and what's best for them. And the development of the children, especially young kids, it takes a back seat and they don't get the relationship that they really deserve, especially with the father. Uh, so if you could go back to the beginning when you could see the writing on the wall that this marriage was going downhill fast, what would you have done differently? And what type of advice could you give to the father who's listening that is in that moment right now where he sees that the relationship is going south and a divorce is pending? You know, Alex, I, I got to tell you that there's a few things. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to talk about that. I do, I do do my best not to live that way because it, it's easy to go down in that rabbit hole, what I should have done, what I could have done, what might have been better. Um, there is some basic advice I give to dads, but, but recognizing that everybody's situation is different. And it's really, really important to recognize that because too often, and I got a lot of it, you get very general advice. Oh, don't get involved in that. Let them have anything they want. Buy them extra clothes. It doesn't matter if their mom won't buy it for them. But, you know, that doesn't get deep, get down into what is your financial situation, where are you, what is your capability of getting there certain hours that are required or not, what happens if you get caught in traffic. You know, it's easy to say it now, and it's easy for me to look back and say I should have done it this way because then you forget the stress of the moment of you have your boss saying, you've got to finish this project before you walk out the door, and you have your ex on the other end saying, if you're not here by 5 o'clock, you can't have the kids. Um, and, it, again, it's easy for me to say, walk out the door, tell your boss you can't be there, and get there next time. That's what you should do. I wish I did that. Uh, I try not to put myself in that space. But the general advice I would give, and something I did do as much as I could, is take the pressure off the kids. Take the fight away from the kids. Unfortunately, and, you know, I live it from the man's side, but I'm sure a lot of women live this from the woman's side, very often there's one person that's bringing the fight to the kids. 
and whether it's a, whether it's it's on the husband's side or the wife's side, the other person can't control that. So as much as I say, and I will tell Dad this, just take the fight away. Don't argue and fight in front of him. Give up on certain things that just don't matter. But sometimes you you have an ex again could be husband or wife, that doesn't allow you to do that. They make everything into an argument. You know, and it's one of the things my friends and family remind me is when I say, you know what, I wish I had just given into that, or I wish I had just let that happen, or I wish I had just written that check. They remind me that every time I did do that, that she found something else to make the issue. So the line just kept getting pushed. So it's easy to give advice, advice from afar. But again, the general advice is, Take them off the kids' shoulders, buy them the extra stuff, incur a little bit of the extra debt. You know, and again, easy for me to say. It's now a bunch of years later. I've got, thank God, I've had a lot of success. Uh, I'm, I'm totally back. You know, I was in debt three hundred thousand dollars by the time that this was a seven-figure battle, and I was, I, I didn't work for a year of it because I had to totally put all my attention on it. And in 2010, when I won this case, I was three hundred thousand in debt. Now, eight years later. I'm not only out of debt, I'm, 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 I'm set. And that's, that's fortunate for me. So in that mindset, it's easy for me to say, you know what? I should have just incurred an extra twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 in debt. Hundreds of, like you should have gotten the extra set, set of clothes. Should have bought them stuff at Neiman because that's what she insisted they have their stuff instead of taking them to the Gap or to Old Navy, you know, for stuff at my house. But again, it's easy for me to say now. So what I will say is, Depending on your situation, depending on where you see yourself in a number of years, and that can vary from dad to dad, do what you got to do. Make it easier for them. Buy the extra thing. Give up the extra birthday. You know, don't get your back up that it's your 4th of July. And you made plans. And your friends are expecting you. And it's special. And they knew your daughter was coming. And then her mom makes plans for her to go to her club. Let her go. Yeah, I think it's important, too, as we're making plans, we have this idea of how things are going to go, and we never factor in emotion. And when emotion hits us, it really changes the situation drastically. Uh, I think Mike Tyson said it best when he said, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. I mean, you really never know how you're going to respond to certain things until they happen. And, and the other piece of advice I'll give, which really worked out well for me, is surround yourself with good people. Don't surround yourself with the people that fire you up. Don't surround yourself with the people that commiserate. Oh, yeah, you know, Alex, she sucks. You know, you got to do this and that. Surround yourself with the people who don't have the emotion in it that you do, who can sit down with you and say, you know what, I hate her for this, but this is the way I see this without being directly involved. And I was very, very fortunate to have three very close friends who went through every single call, every single meeting with the attorneys, every single time I would show up and she wouldn't let me have the kids, they were the people I could call and talk about it with. They'd talk me off the ledge. They'd never fire me up. They'd help me think logically. And I was very, and then I had a few peripheral people that, you know, gave me the chance to blow off steam without firing me up. Like, you know, Alec, you'd call me up and say, hey, dude, let's go off for a drink. And instead of getting me focused on the problem, you'd take me away from the problem. Those are the kind of friends you need when you're going through these things. And I still have them because, you know, I'm living a life now where, you know, a, a lot of regret. You know, my daughter's 21 and 23. I don't see them nearly as much as I'd like. My older daughter's 23. She's got a steady boyfriend. She's in grad school. He's a doctor. They're probably going to get married at some point. I don't even know if I'll be in invited, I've got to take a breath, and, and there's two things I'm really happy for, and I think any parent on this call, any dad listening, uh, at least I hope, would make the deal that I would make. If I could make a deal that my daughters would be happy and healthy for the rest of their life guaranteed, and what I have to give up was not seeing them ever again, 
I would make that deal in a heartbeat. And I think any dad, and I think any dad, but I was going to say any dad that truly loves their kids, but I think every dad does. I think any parent would really make that deal if they're focused on their child. So I go from that perspective, which to me is, thank God, I do have some contact with them, and my younger one does tell me a little bit about my older daughter. Um, and thank God she's an artist, so I get to see her work online and things. But to me, you know, I just learned to step back, and to take what I can get and to count my blessings. All right, it is now time for a word from today's sponsors, and I'll be right back with more of the action on First Class Fatherhood. Okay, well said. And, and from what I can see, you are very passionate about being a father. You're also a big presence on social media. So I'm curious, how have the girls reacted to you posting your side of the story and your experiences with the girls on social media? You know, that's something I don't know because they make like they don't see it. So um, I I believe, I don't know about my older one, I believe my younger one, I wouldn't say regularly, but periodically um, looks at my, at my, um, at what I post. Now, just to give you uh, a little, um, uh, rela- something to relate it to, there's a movie recently, and I, I tell that all that to see it, Kelsey Grammer's in it, I think it's a, I don't know if it's an original Netflix film or a Showtime film, but he's a dad who was estranged from his daughter when she was young. And he shows up at her wedding. And there's just a great line. The wedding ends up falling apart before the marriage. They end up getting drunk together. I don't want to give away the whole movie, but there's a line where where she says, she asks him about himself. And he goes, have you ever Googled me? And she says, no. And he goes, really? Like, I Google you all the time. How could you have never Googled me? Nope, I've never done it. Then, of course, at some point, she looks at him and says, of course I did. And I know, like my daughter, when I was moving to Florida, and I, I finally told her, and I was, it was, I was looking for the right timing, she said to me, yeah, I know. And I'm like, how do you know? And she's like, you told me. I'm like, no, I didn't. And then I let it go because I didn't want to press it because I don't want to discourage her. So I actually post stuff online because I want them to see it. Like I have other parents to go, especially moms, what are you doing? Your daughter's going to be so angry. You shouldn't post that. I'm like, no, this is a part of how I communicate with them because they won't have these conversations with me. Even my younger daughter, who I will have some deeper conversations, she's really into politics, thank goodness, and very, very active. And so if I, you know how you have that friend who doesn't talk much, but if you get him on sports or you get him on his team, you can just shut up and drink your beer and listen to him go for the next 20 minutes? That's my daughter when it comes to, to politics or things she's involved in in that respect. So it's something I like to do because I love when she gets passionate like that. And it extends the time I have with her. Um, but I'm sending a message sometimes. I want her to know a lot of the things I post. I want them to know. They're 21 and 23 now. I want them to know how I'm feeling. I've been told very clearly by, by professionals that it is not the time to address this directly with them, that although a lot of friends, and again, sometimes you get bad advice from people, you oh, you know, you need to set them straight. They're adults now. No, they're not. And guys, if you're on this call and you're listening, your kids at 21 and 23 are not adults. I don't care if they didn't go to college and they've been working since they were 18. Their mind, a brain is not fully developed until the age of 25. And life experience is thrown onto that. I, you know, and again, these are people I really trust. My sister-in-law is a child psychiatrist, um, Harvard-educated. She's also known my family. She knew me before I met my ex. And she tells me every day, this is, do not address this with them. Let them come to it on their own. They will not probably be ready for this conversation until they're 28 to 30 and have kids or older. 
Yeah, that's what I was going to say there is that once they have children of their own, their perspective on life will change as it does for all parents. Yes, but understand, you know, again, that don't expect them to understand these things. Don't expect them to be prepared for it. Don't expect them to be to be ready. Enjoy enjoy that time when they're kids. You and I both know how much you start respecting your parents when you go through the same thing they went through. Or, or when you see what it's like or you see the way your kids, you know, my parents used to love, you know, and I'm sure your parents do, like when your kids diss you or, or roll their eyes at you and they go, oh, you know how many times you did that to us? You know, and, and, and you get that kind of a perspective that's different. But they're not adults yet and they're not ready for those conversations. And very often if you breach them, you, you're, you're going to make a mistake. And sure, every situation is different again. I'm not saying they're not. There are some kids that can handle those conversations. Or, by the way, if they come to you, then you can have, I mean, if a kid comes to you and says, Dad, I want to talk about this, that's different. I'm just talking about you. Like, right now, like, my daughter is so defensive about her mother that I never mention her mother's name unless it's a, hey, don't forget, it's your mom's birthday. Or, you know, hey, it looked like you had a great trip to Italy with your mom. But, like, if my daughter doesn't do something I'd like her to do, the first words out of her mouth is, you know, Dad, I don't do that for mom either. I'm like, who mentioned mom? What you do with mom is your business. I'm just talking about you and me, and I'd appreciate if I text you, but you don't wait three days to text me back. Yeah, that's why it's important, and that's why I wanted you to come on here and hear your message and tell your story, because there's so many dads out there that are in this boat of being a single dad, and they don't get the chance to focus on the enjoyment of being a father and all the awesomeness that it really brings, because they're so caught up in the battle with the ex, and they're always on the defensive, because a lot of times they're being talked about behind their back, and the ex is painting this terrible picture of them and turning the kids against them. It's so difficult to see, and I know some dads that struggle with identity because of this. They identify themselves as fathers first, and that identity comes under attack unjustly most of the time. You know, the one thing I will say is, again, like with me, if, you're, if your ex tries to take your kids away and, and you take a look at yourself that you know, you know you're a good guy, you didn't do anything that, that deserves this, then never give up. Never end that battle. Make sure that battle stays legal. You know, do it the right way, even if the, even if the system sucks. But just what you're doing is not just fighting for your kids. You're letting them know. And people have told me this again and again. They don't see it. You don't, you don't get it from them. They're, most of the kids support their moms. Um, but in a, in a, they're, they're watching. Like I said earlier, they're watching everything you do. And like people tell me all the time, you know what? Women tell me this. And a lot of women who, who went through this as girls. And they say, keep doing what you're doing because they know. They know you're never giving up. Even if they don't take the call. Even if they don't answer your emails, they know that you're never giving up. And they'll tell me, like, look, you know, we had so many women have come to me about their experiences with their dads. And and the dads who finally, and they knew, they they didn't even blame their dads. Their dads, it was so hard. The mothers made it so they gave up, but they still knew their dads gave up. And they, they, they see what I'm doing and they say, just keep doing it. Just keep letting them know you care. And, and, and a lot of them have wrapped their arms around the fact that when I post about my daughters, a lot of times I do want them to see it. I, like my younger daughter said to me at one point, and I don't think this was – it is about her mom because she doesn't like her mom to know that we're spending time together. She makes excuses for it whenever she has to. But, you know, she, there were pictures being posted. But I think part of it, you know, because I would, whenever I see her, I take pictures and I take a photo. I always have to get at least a photo of the two of us. And at one point she said, Dad, I just don't want you posting the photos. And I looked at her. Again, you know, I, I, I found the right moment. She was looking at me sincerely, and I said, Honey, these photos are all I have. I don't see you very often. You don't communicate with me. 
I see her four or five times a year or whenever I can get to Philly. She won't see me in New York, even in New York City, because her mom lives in Long Island, anywhere within the vicinity. I said, this is all I have. And it's so important to me to share this with my friends. And she said, okay. And she, I mean, now we take pictures. She never, the word never comes out of her mouth, don't post this. Yeah, I'd like to ask you, because time is so important to all of us, and, and when your time is limited with the people that you love the most, it, it becomes even more valuable. So if it was up to you, what would be the perfect way to spend a weekend with your daughters if you could do it your way? Oh, boy. Well, let, let's look at that from two factors. It, it, keeping them in mind, knowing that they're not going to want to be with me every minute, I would love to, like, uh, I did this when they were 15, 14 and 16. I took them to a club med. Um, and, you know, we had our meals together, but then they went off and did their own thing, and I got a little private area on the beach, but they didn't sit right next to me. You know, that that would be my ultimate, keeping them in mind, like what, what would also work for them, because they, they're not going to spend every minute with me. What I would love to do, I would love to, let's say, take a trip overseas or somewhere where we, you know, where we do everything together, where we wake up in the morning and we go out on a tour and we have a guide, and then we go shopping and, you know, then we go for like a lunch and then a dinner. And sure, maybe at some point, hey, I'm running out for a little while, but that would be um, the ultimate to me. I got, I just got to tell you one thing, because I, I, you're probably going to end this quick at some point, uh, a little thing I do, and it's a little tip to dad. So my older daughter, really all I get with her is a meal when I visit her. Every once in a while, I might get something a little bit more. And if, if I'm really lucky, I stay overnight and she has coffee with me the next morning. But that only works if she doesn't have classes the next day. Because she's my daughter's straight-A student at an Ivy League college. She's going to graduate in four years, not only with an undergraduate degree, but a master's. So when she tells me she's busy, she's busy. You know, she works hard. She has 8 o'clock in the morning classes. But what I do when I go to meals is I slip a few dollars to the waiter and I tell him to make it really slow. Because I know when dinner ends, you know, it's going to be like, okay, Dad, well, you know, either I've got homework to do or we've got a party or we've got something. And now that she's of age, we used to go shopping for alcohol. You know, again, I'm not talking about when she was 15, when she was 19, 20, uh, you know, when I was 18, drinking age was 18. I had no problem, you know, doing that with her. But now that's gone. And so I pay off the waiters. And sometimes my daughter will go, Man, it's taking a long time. It's okay. Look, he's working really hard. Don't worry about it. Leave him be. And then one meal we're at, the waiter was, these two waiters were so great. They were, they were like, I could see them in the kitchen pointing at me. And they were smiling like, they were really loving the fact that I wanted to spend this extra time with my daughter and her roommate. That they, they asked about dessert, and my daughter and her roommate said, no, no, thank you. So I go back, I see them conspiring, and they come out with a tray of dessert, and they wink at me, and they go, oh, it's on the house. The chef would like to treat you to dessert. And and the waiter's trying to tell me, no, no, you're paying. I just want to let you know. He's kind of like looking at me and, and making like they think, you know, the motion with your fingers, like about money. <laughs> and, of course, the dessert's free. So my daughter and her roommate take dessert, and we end up sitting for another 20, 30 minutes, and they're, in the, they're like making the okay signs, and they tell me the kitchen. I'll tell you what, Ted, you are a first-class father. You fight for the time. You fight for the love of your children. And the world is so fascinating, really, because now we have so many absentee fathers all across the country that want nothing to do with their kids. They only have excuses to try to justify their actions. And it seems like those kids are dying to have any type of relationship with the father. 
And here we are in a situation with you where you're dying to have a relationship. You're doing whatever it takes to make that happen with your kids. And they're the ones that are giving the resistance to that and making it difficult. So I really commend you for what it is that you're doing. I love the hashtag that you use, no let up. You're a dad that is pursuing the love of his children. And I really pray for you and your family that this whole situation settles into some type of happiness and peace for you all. You know, Alex, thank you so much. And I, I just want to let, again, a lot of the dads know that you, and I don't mean that there is some, don't blame, I'm not talking about who you should blame, but who you shouldn't blame is your kids. Like, I do get people who say to me, you know, it's about time and they are to blame now. I will never put that on them because it's not just about their age. It's just, it's about what's been put into their heads and what they've had to live with. And like all of us know, sometimes when you have a, a, a falling out with even a friend or a relative, and you, even when you realize it's your fault, sometimes it's very difficult to go back and say, hey, I want to rebuild this or, or to apologize or to even just move on when the other person says no apology is necessary. Okay, Ted, last thing I'll hit you with here. Leave us with some type of advice. What could you tell the new fathers or those about to be dads who are listening? What I, what I want to leave your audience with, and this is something I say all the time, and it's, it's about everything. It's about business. It's about, it's about friendship. It's about family. But I, I related here, especially about your kids, that relationships are like muscle tissue. The more you engage them, the stronger and more valuable they become. Find a way, any way, to engage them. Awesome. Ted Rubin, I just want to say thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time right here on First Class Fatherhood. Alex, thank you for reaching out to me and including me. It means a lot to me. All right. I will be right back after a quick spot. Back to wrap things up here on First Class Fatherhood. I got to give a special thank you once again to Ted Rubin for giving me a few minutes of his time here on the podcast. That was pretty cool. Hit me up on Twitter. Drop me a DM on Instagram. Let me know what you thought about today's episode. I'm always curious to get your feedback. I want to say thank you to all the guys and gals out there who tuned in to today's podcast. Please don't keep it to yourself. Spread it around out there. Sharing is caring. Let all the parents you know about this podcast. We are crushing the charts over on iTunes. It's so awesome to see a fatherhood podcast, especially doing so well. And really, the best is yet to come here. So keep it locked in. I have some amazing guests on the way. Friday's episode 89, I will be joined here by Kim and Penn Holderness. Uh, That's all I got for you guys today. I'm Alec Lace. You've been listening to First Class Fatherhood. And please remember, guys, we are not babysitters. We're fathers. And we are not just fathers. We are first class fathers. Charles.